Hallo och välkommen till en ny episode av Pelkvarteren podcast med mig Lars Sivatsen i samarbete med Betson måndag kväll här nu i, i London. Tynt med värnytt fotnytt och hundanytt så jag ska bara dura på för de Manchester United är er visst nog i färd med att bruka enormt många pengar på en fotbollsspelare som heter Anthony som, som jag har sett han någon gång i så fall men i förlåt här är er det en spelare som jag inte har 100 på en kontroll på altså. men sin det är er en så pass stor del så följer man snacka lite snacka lite om det så jag hanka in lite extern kompetens jag har spurt var var vän Michael Jongsma från från Opta i i Nederland om om han kan hjälpa oss lite. Jag syns det var intressant att snacka med han om Ten Hag för som han jag syns det har varit god sån bakgrund och ballast att ha i den startfasen att Ten Hag projektet och jag 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 syns det var väldigt intressant att då ta en prat med han om om Anthony jag hoppas dock och syns det är er intressant att vi gör det som vi gjorde förra gången att med med klappa in gästen i har ljudmaskinen min här. Vi så trycker på trycker på klappknappen. Okay, I'm delighted that we again have with us uh, my, my my very good friend and the team lead data insights for the Netherlands for for Opta, right? Have I got that correctly? I always mess up your job title. Yeah, you have well. you have that correctly, Lars. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, that's that's how companies work. I mean, the the title changes and the people don't. So, I mean, uh, just uh, we never know what the next time we speak. Uh, my job. Yeah, it might be something that. completely different, but you're the man behind Opta Johan, anyway. And yeah, uh, and obviously, I've known you for quite a few years. I've discussed various football things with you over the years, and I haven't known you to be wrong about things very often. So I'm very glad I could steal uh, some of your time. Oh, thank you very much. I think we'll end up talking, uh, maybe even a whole episode about just one player, which doesn't happen very often. It's just it does seem like Manchester United are on the verge of spending like a hundred million euros. Uh, on a player who, uh, how should I put this? I've never in my lifetime experienced that a football club has spent this much money of a, of a, of a player I've seen fewer times. I think that's probably true. I'd seen more of, of Juan Felix when he went to Atletico Madrid than I have of Anthony. I've seen him some games, but I really need you and your big your Dutch brain to fill in some gaps there. My impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that he is... Uh, a, a fairly typical sort of inside uh, forward, inside winger. He likes to start out on the right, technically good. Likes to come inside, try to hit the far corner of the net if he can. If not, look for a look for a pass or a cross. And that he's maybe a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a passer than just a pure dribbler and shooter. If you know, I mean, that's certainly my impression. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that is what what sets him apart from other people that like to cut in and dribble. I mean. Uh, you you've just seen the the well common part of Nicolas Pepe at Arsenal, uh, who just joined Nice and who was a very expensive player as well, and and maybe fits that same bracket that you could attribute Anthony to. Uh, with the with the big difference uh, here being that Pepe was obviously uh, a couple of years older as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean he he has that extra ability. He is very very fun to play with for his teammates. You can tell that. Uh, the the players at Ajax really love the, his, his his demeanor on the pitch. Like he he is able to create a, a lot of things out of nothing. Um, so mm. yeah, I, th- I think you do get get that right. And he has a he has a knack for those strange angles. He loves to try and just drop those bombs into the far corner uh, from his his, his favorite 
um, a spot on the on the on the right wing. And um, yeah, it's it, it's 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 a it's a fascinating player to watch. It's a fun player to watch. But the big question, obviously, is um, is it a one hundred million euros player to to watch? And um, that is that is one thing that I'm I'm, I'm well let, let's let's put it mildly. I'm, I'm fairly surprised by. So again, my impression, and maybe it was you who told me earlier this summer, so I might actually just be repeating your words back to me, but um, that the reason the transfer fee is so high is that Ajax had a certain number of players they were willing to sell this summer, and they sold those players, and they thought, okay, that's it, that's our squad done. So when United now come in for Anthony and want Anthony, the stance was that they weren't going to sell him at all. But then United started offering money that was just completely ludicrous, and so they've had to change their mind. Is that just is that you know somewhere on the right track? Yeah, I, I think that 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 is a fairly good summary of, of, of what has happened. I think in general, like uh, Ajax was quite unhappy to see Eric Ten Hag go, but um, they're trying to make a thing out of being very much a gentleman's club over the last few years that kind of embraces itself as. Um, as a as that team that creates world stars, um, and they've done really well so far. Like I mean, there's there's such a list over the last few years of players that you can can name that have used Ajax as a, as a sort of a springboard uh, to a higher level, regardless of, it, of what their impact was there. But at least they're they're they've been really good at at sending that message. And uh, with Erik ten Hag. Um, there's quite obviously now a coach that that goes through that same same route, and we've had Peter Boss previously as well, um, doing the same. Uh, but yeah, in this case, I think they were kind of hoping that Erik ten Hag wouldn't just just look at his former squads and think, well, that guy kind of fits um, a hole that 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 I've got here uh, at Manchester United and uh, Lisandro Martinez. Um, already felt like quite a weird transfer where where people were like, yeah, is this he's he is talented, he is a good player, but we're still not sure what what his best position is. Is he a is is he a, a holding midfielder? Is he is he a centre back? Um, will he really hold up in the Premier League? And uh, yeah, Ajax received a fee of sixty million euros for him. I think it was, which was already quite surprising, um, but. Um, he already felt like a player too far because they have lost uh, Nuzari Mazari uh, on a free. Andre Onana left on a free as well. Um, Ryan Gravenberg uh, they had to cash in on because he had uh, he was in the last year of his contract. So they had done uh, quite a few transfers already, and I'm, I'm probably yeah even missing a few. I mean, you've got Nicolas Tagliafico as one of the uh, core guys that that left for Lyon. Because he wanted the changes of scenery, so yeah, that 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 core that they were keen on uh, has been well stripped down quite a bit, and um, yeah, I mean, I think they were quite happy with how they set everything up. They were able to get uh, decent enough um, replacements in for for many of the players. Uh, had a great signing, I think, in, in a player like Steven Bergwijn. And probably felt like, okay, we have a new manager, Alfred Schroeder, who used to be an assistant at the club uh, and who won the league title with uh, Club Brugge uh, last season. Like, okay, we, we, can, we can probably build on the foundation that was left by Erik ten Hag uh, and we'll just, just 
that we'll, we'll probably have have a, a good campaign in Europe again and and do well uh, in the Eredivisie, obviously. And yeah, then the Anthony <laughs> interest came, um, and I think Ajax were quite comfortable with just telling Manchester United, "No, we're not having any of that. We don't really care about the fee. We feel that this player uh, will not drop in value that soon." Uh, mind you, they've made that mistake before because a player like David Neres was at one point subject of a 45 million euro bid from China and he wanted to go a few years ago um, in the season that they made a great Champions League run and in the end they sold him to uh, Shakhtar Donetsk for I think a bit, uh, just a, yeah, a bit less than 15 million euros. Mm. Uh, but they felt comfortable here and then, uh, yeah, then then the big money came and then the unhappiness came um because anthony hasn't hasn't been seen on the training pitch since mm. and now they're they're kind of feeling forced to to let go of a player that they feel is is, is probably not even ready to make the the jump up that anthony is so keen on making at this point right so so <laughs> I mean, that sounds slightly alarming. I mean, I have quite a few United fans listening to this. And so far, you've sort of vaguely compared him to Nicola Pepe and said he's not really ready to make the jump up. I mean, this is a player you're paying 100 million euros for. This this seems worrying. Uh, And it's one of the reasons that I decided I have to have you on the pod because you did tell me on the WhatsApp, like, he's not a lot better than Steven Bergwijn. And are we totally certain he's better than Nicola Pepe? And I thought, good Lord, these are some... uh, these are some thoughts that I think would worry United fans listening. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's, I mean, the the, the Pepe one is, is a bit of a uh, an exaggeration. It's a bit of a stingy one because I do think that he has, uh, he has a bit, he's a bit more expansive as a player and he's, he's obviously a bit younger. But I think uh, the the main thing, and, and I'm sorry for interrupting you here, but the main the main thing you get with players like like, of that caliber is that they're able for a fee that's not nowhere near uh, the Anthony fee. So mm. are you that convinced he is, he is of an elite level yet? And that's, that's my main gripe here. Well, so let's look at what level we, we definitely know he's at. I mean, his, his numbers in the, in the Eredivisie in terms of goals and assists are, are pretty good, but not amazing. Uh, has he been improving rapidly recently? Uh, what in his game is it that you think has convinced Manchester United to, to part with this much money? Well, so first, his underlying numbers are quite good, like, and they're they're probably a, t- a tad better than what you you see mm. when you just look look at the goals and assists. Um, obviously, um, not every everything that comes from him can be um, attributed directly to him but he works really well with an overlapping uh, right right back I think with what Manchester United are trying with uh, Diogo Dalot they're looking for a player that that is able to kind of give that space to to its right back and and work well in in tandem basically on that side so you're quite happy to see that happening Uh, furthermore obviously Eric Tanakh knows him well knows his character uh, and trusts him to to be able to execute the kind of tasks that Eric Hag has in mind for that position in general. So I think that plays a part. I think one of the things why they are feeling a bit more comfortable uh, with the the situation in general 
is also that that a he's he's 22 years old mm. um he's b he's a brazilian international so there is a mm. certain pedigree in that sense and also he had he has been quite decent in the champions league as well he's got decent numbers there he's got 11 games three goals four assists um so that's that sounds like oh well we're, we're getting a champions league level player here that that's a good thing however the one thing that i'm quite alarmed by is that he got those results or, or those numbers mainly in in a couple of routes in the in the group phase last last season, uh, where Ajax did look really dominant, but they were unable to uh, to move past Benfica. And in those two games, he wasn't that impressive at all. So basically, what United's scouts will be looking at uh, is that okay, he's he's played well in the Eredivisie, but he has also shown that he can play well in the Champions League and for the Brazilian setup, which would be promising and make you think that he's a 22-year-old who has a higher ceiling than necessarily what he's been doing domestically. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and and I, I can see that as well. And um, just, just to be completely clear, because we've talked about Anthony for a bit now, and to some it might sound like I'm, I'm saying he's completely terrible. That's definitely not what I'm saying. It's just that... Um, the fee comes with an expectation, and um, I, I, I'm having having my doubts whether uh, that expectation is completely warranted. Because, yeah, he's 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 done well enough there, but then there there are the uh, the the slight issues with with several things. It's that um, I mean he's been decent against pace fate, but not great. Been okay against Feyenoord, another team that you're looking for has been okay against AZ. Like, these are the Eredivisie teams that you would scout, the one which you, that you would scout him against as well, I suppose. So, <laughs> you do get a tendency that he inflates his numbers against the slightly lesser opponents rather than the other way around. Mm. Um, and I think with, um, with a team like Ajax, one of the things you have always have to consider is team effects. Because this mm. this team is so ridiculously dominant, it it's just it almost doesn't make any sense. Um, so when you look at those numbers, who and they look fine in isolation. Like he has to like really step it up to probably hit those same numbers uh, in a in a different team on a different level, with in a setup that doesn't have the same uh, fluency or the same dominance that he is used to. So. In the end, when you're paying 100 million euros for a player, if you're a club, like usually you'd expect someone that would instantly lift your team. And to go from what I just described to being that kind of leader or star, um, that seems like quite a, a stretch for a, for a player that has been in the Eredivisie for a couple of years now. Yeah, I'm looking at a list now of the top 50 most expensive association football transfers a list that Anthony is about to join. And obviously there, there's some strange cases here and there, but most of the sort of ones from from 80, 80 million and upwards are players who had at least proven in, in one of the top five leagues that they were one of the best players around in their position, whether the transfer worked out or not. I mean, there's some, some mixed stories there and there are interesting articles, I think, to be written about why so many of the biggest, biggest transfers haven't actually worked out that well. But my point being is most of the names on the list of the most expensive transfers ever, at least you can look at the couple of seasons leading up to the transfer and see, oh yeah, okay, I see why they paid that much for him. I can see what the thinking was there. Uh, I, I, th- I I find it really hard to say that about Anthony. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got I've got I've got a similar issue and it's he is typically one that that when you see him play there 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 is something really joyous about his style and he he has a really neat touch and he has that ability to just really wow you as a as a viewer but like um uh, and 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 obviously a lot of times like when you just look at the numbers then you're definitely missing something but there are some things that that do add up and i think when you look at his period at um at ajax he's he's played there for two seasons and the first se- season they didn't even make it out of the group stage in the champions league the the second year they made it out but immediately got dumped out in the knockout stages and all that that uh, that you're left with and how how to judge him is then basically the Eredivisie, where Ajax have been the dominant side for a, a few years now, um, and by by quite a well, quite a stretch as well. Like it's quite obvious that Ajax are the most equipped side to to win the Eredivisie, especially since they really just upped their budget uh, a few years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, what exactly are you paying for? And you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned. Uh, Stephen Bergwijn before Bergwijn's numbers at PSV were really good. Memphis's numbers at PSV were really good. I would I would say that both of those players had more exceptional numbers for for mm. for PSV at that point. Obviously, they didn't have like the the same impact in European games, so there's that to level it a bit. Uh, but I am quite curious why why Manchester United and Ten Hag at this point feel so ready to pay this kind of money for a player uh, when you get those kind of things in mind. And another example in that is, uh, I think, is Hakim Ziyech, who I thought at Ajax was quite obviously the best player in the league. And okay, he was a bit older, but he was part of that that incredible Ajax team that almost reached the Champions League final, who he had an impact in the uh, Europa League uh, run a few years earlier as well. Like, that is actual pedigree. And given how uh, he's struggled at Chelsea, like that has surprised me more, mm. um, yeah. Then I mean that that he is the type of player that would actually make more sense to me when you look at uh, what are you getting for your money and what are the expectations of it and so on and so on. So, um, it is- yeah. So that could that sorry that could actually have been a thing for United in this window if you're if your crazy Dutch coach insists on signing someone he's worked with before to fill that slot on the wing. Um, Ziyech is right there, man. Like he's he's not young anymore, but Chelsea doesn't seem to want him. Maybe maybe you should have gotten him. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, and and that is the whole point here. Like Anthony definitely seems like a player that's worth like a really good deal of money uh, that has uh, that still has a, a quite a bit of upside, um, and he'll he'll quite quite likely just just become like a a, a good Premier League player. But you're not paying 100 million euros for a good Premier League player, like. And how sure are you that he's going to, um, yeah, just descend to 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 that next tier that you you kind of want from him? And I think when you consider, I mean, I think the the Joao Felix transfers is an interesting one uh, that you just mentioned. Like that should, in some ways, be a cautionary tale as well. I mean, obviously, it's it's Atletico Madrid. Uh, there's there's a completely different demand, and so on and so on. Uh, but that transfer hasn't worked out nearly as good as it probably should so far. Um, and Anthony is is a bit older and has to like uh, get into a new environment as well, feel comfortable there. Um, so yeah, it's 
I want to be more positive about it, but I because I I do think that there I don't think this is just a purely a talent situation or question. It's just like if they would have gotten him for like half the fee, I would still find find it a bit steep. But I would at least have thought, well, okay, you know the player. There is the upside if you can develop him into a 100 million euro player. You've done a really good deal. But that is not the case here because you're buying a 100 million euro player. So, yeah. <laughs> buy, yeah. buy an actual 100 million euro player. That's my main thing here. Just buy yeah. someone yeah. that has that pedigree instead of uh, looking for someone that has the upside to get there. Yeah, you're taking a risk on someone who hasn't proven yet that he's at that level, but he's shown that he might get there. But you're paying the kind of money that normally you would buy someone who's established for it. Well, I've got you here. What are your thoughts on Ten Hag's start at uh, Manchester United so far? Because I remember when he was appointed, uh, you and I were sat just right here just chatting like this. And I, the vibe I was getting from you saying that he's a good coach, he's a good tactician, he's a good sort of coach on a technical level. And if he's given time, he will turn United into a, into a good football team. But you were questioning whether he would be given that time. And we've already seen in the first weeks of the season how much pressure that's immediately on you when things don't go right in just one or two games. I think he's recovered really well. I thought that is quite impressive. For a, for a coach that, that is known for, for having such a such a unique style or or being so so good at, at, at like a certain game he is actually quite more of a pragmatist and i was talking about this with a a colleague of mine who is an fc utrecht fan we we discussed it a week ago after the win against manchester or against liverpool like people people kind of forget that he was in charge of utrecht and was a was really good at setting his, his side up in a specific way to just counter the strengths of the opponent. Mm. He he won uh, against PSV in the cup in a very uh, impressive manner at one point. I think he defeated Ajax as well uh, a few times. Like he has the, he has that to his game. And I mean, it, I'm quite surprised that he's revert uh, reverted to that kind of setup so quickly. But I because I don't think that he did something very different this weekend against Southampton either. But uh, it kind of shows you that he he is, luckily he is aware enough of the situation that he is in. The one thing that I've been impressed by is that he has he does seem to have won at least like the majority of the squad for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like uh, one of the issues that is still there, a, a glaring one, uh, is 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 likely wheeled out even uh, in Cristiano Ronaldo. So that it would mm-hmm. really make it his team because I don't think if you're if you have Cristiano Ronaldo in your squad, it is every your team. It is interesting to see which way things go, but like I'm, I'm happy for him that he has managed to at least turn around like the negative energy that surrounded mm. the first uh, couple of weeks. And yeah, in that sense, like I think that's one of the reasons that they're now more comfortable with going for Anthony as well. I mean, if you feel like things are completely falling apart in the first month, you're not going yeah, to spend exactly. a million euros for for a player that the manager is really keen on. That's a very good point, actually. Uh, and, and it's interesting what you mentioned about him being maybe more flexible than, than some people have given him credit for. I mean, Casemiro isn't an obvious sort of Dutch-style number six, you know? He's more of a warrior, more used to defending deeper, not used to playing with a super high press. But uh, Ten Hag doesn't mind having someone in that number six role who's primarily a destroyer, right? 
No, 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 definitely not. I, I mean, he's he's had Edson Alvarez there for Ajax, a Mexican international that was actually uh, bought to become the uh, Matthias de Ligt replacement um, mm. as a centre back. But he's um, he wasn't really comfortable with the what the well, fairly complicated way of how Ten Hag wants his his defenses to to function. Uh, so at one point he decided to just move that kind of muscle, that kind of kind of power into midfield, and that actually worked really well. And it's one of the reasons that uh, at first Daley Blint and and later on Lisandro Martinez managed to thrive in that uh, left centre back role because there's at least like one guy that just really does all the all, all the bruising and and takes care of some of the the aerial kind of the aerial mm-hmm. stuff as well. And I think Casemiro, I mean, he's he's obviously just way more of a uh, an actual midfielder than than Alvarez has, but he has some of those similar traits where you're like you'll you'll just he'll just make sure that it solidifies your defense. But yeah, I think Ten Hag is even though like when you compare it to Frank De Jong, he, the, those two feel like like different players. Uh, but um, I think I think Ten Hag is is quite happy to just deal with the. With, with players that he'll get if they are able to have like a certain like tactical brain. I think the pragmatism of Ten Hag will, will really, um, yeah, basically has kind of uh, resulted in him uh, feeling a, a lot more enforced than he did a few weeks ago now. Yeah, so we can finish up on this because I've been kind of been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. And I've recently felt I've been so negative about so much to do with Manchester United, and justifiably so, because the the club's been a madhouse for for a while now and just done weird things. Uh, but but I want to try to be a little bit positive about something they're doing, and and looking at it like a transfer window where they they bring in uh, Lisandro Martinez, they bring in Casemiro, and they bring in Anthony. If you just kind of completely ignore the financial side of it, that's that's not bad. Like you get you get a guy in defensive midfield who can stabilize stuff. Lisandro Martinez, you can see that there's a good player there, and if he has the right support around him, I'm sure he can work as a center half in England, and he helps you with the build up all this. And Anthony is an exciting winger. He he does clearly have a lot of ability, and he knows the coach. So this is all good. The thing is, you have also paid like 200 million euros for those three. Which is maybe not good. I mean, but United are one of the clubs in the world who can actually afford to do that and spend overspend by a lot and still kind of make the numbers add up at the end of the day. I think the funny thing is that you don't even mention Tyrell Malasia, and he's the yeah. The sorry, one- that was very. I was just because he doesn't. Yeah, they didn't spend that much money on. Him. Please, no, exactly. Talk about exactly. talk about him a bit for us. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I mean, I think he's had a decent enough start at the club. I think he's 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 probably made uh, quite a good impression against Liverpool. Um, mm. Wasn't that great against Southampton, but like, I mean, that that's a solid pickup for fifteen million euros. And yeah, um, in that sense, like when you're talking about understanding understanding a league, understanding its players, and and using that to your advantage, I think Malaysia is typically one example where you're like, okay, you're getting a fifty million uh, euro player. Uh, that is probably worth a lot more uh, quite quick and will never feel like uh, a failed investment so Mm. um, I'm I'm quite quite happy with how how they they've picked that up and in general like you um, the the names you mentioned like you've got um, you've got Casemiro who I mean feels like he's worth the gamble anyway Uh, Martinez who's who's definitely made made sure that um, that people are understanding why he came in uh, whether he'll completely justify 
the price tag and everything is, is, is to be seen, but like, at least there's a, a clear, um, yeah, quality to him. Um, and Anthony will be interesting as well, but yeah, you're talking about a 22 year old, um, Brazilian forward. That's an international first country. So that like, when you read it out like that, it sounds like, oh, well, I mean, it's probably, he probably already is or is going to be a superstar. The Christian Eriksen one is, is interesting as well uh, as a free pickup that kind of gives you like that, that Ajax blueprint of, of, of people that are, uh, or of midfielders that are just really technically proficient. Uh, so there are, I mean, yeah, I, I just ignoring the money, I think there are, are some, some interesting players coming in that you feel like at least like kind of fit the blueprint of what he in the end probably wants to do with them hmm. like I, I don't think they're there that you can argue much with that and i think like all these players fill a kind of role that you're uh yeah th that you don't really have at united as well at the moment so yeah i think when you look at the squad before the season you've got a few positions that you really want to fill in um and one of them is probably yeah a good ball playing defender so that that's that's martinez uh you probably do want someone on the on the right forward position uh, there as well, because Sancho's is probably better on the, the other side. Mm. Um, just a bit of competition for Luke Shaw is never wrong, obviously. And uh, I mean, Ericsson is, is, is just, yeah. I mean, when you consider uh, the lack of foot, like the lack of passing ability, and not, I'm not saying like Bruno Fernandes is a bad passer, but he's, he's a bit irate in his decision-making. He's an ambitious passer. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, por I, the, I, the the Portuguese Alessandro Diamante, and then add a bit of add a, well, but with, with some extra quality. Obviously. Well, that's what I thought when they moved for Ericsson, in that I, I kept watching United last season and thinking this is very mean to say, but there's not a lot of football intelligence on this field. Like there are talented players, but not many who strike you as really intelligent in terms of understanding space and uh, and and uh, and understanding the flow of the game and this sort of stuff. That's something they were really lacking. So Ericsson gives them that, right? Yeah, exactly. I think so as well. Um, and I mean, he, he, he struggled in his, his first game. I thought it was. And after that, he, he has kind of picked it up and, uh, has looked has looked the part, so that's really heartening to see. So hey, this is good. Like this, th th there are positive things to say. Increasingly, like looking at United in this window and how it's going, it reminds me of going on holiday to Switzerland. Like if you can just ignore how how much everything is costing you, then then there's a lot of positive things here. This is this is kind of where I'm landing on it. Is Switzerland more expensive than Norway? Because I have been on holiday to Norway and I have found that quite expensive and had that similar <laughs> okay, so vibe to it. So. I, I guess Switzerland just kind of shocked me because as a Norwegian, I expect everywhere foreign to be cheaper than home and, and it, it wasn't. Uh, but no, Norway, unfortunately, might also be a good example in, in that regard. <laughs> um, th thank you very much. Unless you have something urgent to add of a, of a slightly air divisi uh, slant, I might have to let you go because this has already been longer than I told you I was going to be. Um Nah, yeah, just not 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 so much Eredivisie. Although with all the Norwegians currently doing well there, you you can always you can always get me in for another pod. Tobias Larsson get, getting a winner last last weekend, for example. Uh, you know, we were going to do this this summer, but then obviously the summer became a weird one uh, for me for for health reasons. Yeah, that obviously, there's no way too much about. I've been oversharing ferociously, but uh, yeah, let's let's do a Norwegians in Holland update at some point. Yeah. That'd be great because Hakon Evian is finally doing well as well. So it's uh, it 
it's one big party. Von Larsen, Von Larsen <laughs> might stay in spite of his best efforts. Yeah, you never know. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Have a lovely day, sir. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you again, Lars. Det är kul att man har lydeffekter eller inte. Jag 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 syns det var intressant. Det är inte bara liksom alltså jag är er lite chockskadad av av prislappen man man ender på men som Michel säger det är er ju en spännande spelare på många måter. Det är er bara en vad ska jag säga si, det verkar som en unödvändig risk att betala så mycket för en spelare som som må upp någon hack för man man ska leva upp till den prislappen. men för all del det det vill säga varit United fan så hade jag inte liksom varit att 100 negativt till detta den spelare jag hade glädjat mig till att se spela för för klubben min och och som, som kan funka men man måste ju vara man måste vara lite bekymrad för pengebruken kanske totalt sett med tanke på United och man ska inte United genererar ju så otroligt mycket pengar sammanlagt med ganska många andra fotbollsklubbar i världen men det är er klart du ska inte vara ut av Champions League väldigt många år för för det ena stycket börjar börjar ändra sig lite så kanske en ting att vara lite bekymrad för men men inte en helt sån sån galskap övergång bara en bara en pris som man blir lite sån what av Uansett, helt til slut. Altså, jeg har Nå kommer jo kampen hit ut og kjører Det er midt i ukerunde, så jeg skal sette mig ned nå i kveld Og skrive tipspalte til den Ikke studert materien Helt bra, tre av tre singelspill inn denne helgen Forresten, god, god helg for tipspalten Jeg har ikke studert alt så nøye Men jeg ser på Ser på oddsmenyen her Og vet ikke hva Bournemouth Det ser jo ikke bra ut altså, Ok, de har, de har møtt litt eh, Ekle lag da Men, men jeg synes ikke Barnevist ser bra ut Selv ikke den kamp de vant Første seierunde Da de skåte to mål fra dødballen Mot Aston Villa Og Ella som trente ikke hadde ballen På hjemmebane Mot det som viser seg å være Et ganske dårlig Aston Villa lag De spiller hjemme mot Wolves Jeg var jo veldig skeptisk til Wolves Før sesongen begynner Men jeg har sett et par kampene deres nå Jeg synes ikke de ser så dårlig ut egentlig Så vet du hva Det er 2.15 i odds På at Wolves drar til Barnevist Og vinner Og jeg tenker dette kommer til å bli en sånn greie av denne sesongen Litt sånn som det var med Norwich i fjor Altså, jeg tror alltid når du får odds på over to På at Bournemouth taper en fotballkamp i denne divisionen, Så tror jeg det kommer til å være verdi i det Nesten uansett hvem de spiller mot For det ser ikke bra ut så langt Så jeg tenker et spel på at Wolves slår Bournemouth ned på Sørkjøsten Og onsdag kveld til 2.15 odds Det tror jeg er nice altså Der, det, det skal jeg være på Om jeg skal bake den inn i trippelen Eller om jeg skal ha det som singelspel Kanskje til og med begge Det, det får man se litt nå etterpå når jeg skal skrive spalten her Men, men det er i hvert fall en, en tips å ha med Ellers, takk for å følge alle sammen Vi skal ha mer sånn overgangsprat Det er jo rett før vinduet stenger liksom Så vi må jo ha litt av det denne uken Og ellers så håper jeg vi høres igjen snart Ha det godt